Same thing we say every week. If you've got a Bible, grab it, uh, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline or the Central Church app. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going today. And this is week number 3 of a series called All Aboard. And in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to challenge you to understand that the gospel costs you absolutely nothing, but it demands everything. And it demands that we get on board with God's plans for our lives and that we leave our plans behind. In every area, we need to understand that, that God's ways are higher than our ways, that, that his plans are better than our plans. And, and we just need to yield to God's plans in our life. Week number one, we talked about how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through a fire. And, and we learned that, that they weren't alone in the fire and that we're not alone in the fire either. And the storms that we go through in life, Jesus is there with us. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here this morning. Last week, we talked about how we needed to all be on board with worshiping God. And worship is more than just singing. Worship is a lifestyle. And we need to adapt that into our lives. And we just need, we need to just focus on God. Today, um, let me set this message up like this. Last weekend, um, I was out driving around during the snowstorm. Anybody else driving around during the snowstorm? couple other idiots in the church. I'm not the only one. So what, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to say a lot of things this morning that you probably I should go back on, but anyway. So I was trying to check out what my Jeep could do in the snow. I've never had a Jeep before. Um, I've always been a truck guy. I've always had trucks. And so I'm like, let's see what this Jeep can, can do. And so needless to say, I was goofing off a little bit. Now, I know you can't imagine that from your pastor, right? But, but I was. And so I'm like driving through snow drifts and watch, making snow fly up. And like, I, I don't know what I was doing. I was pretending like I was four-wheeling in the desert or something. So anyway, I get to a place where they had piled up, so, to, up, up some snow, and I had this thought. I'm going to drive over top of that. I'm just going to do it. And so I just, somebody just yelled out, you got stuck. Who said that? Mary? She knows this story. <laughs> So I start, so I start climbing up over this thing. I didn't realize that there was like an air pocket in the middle of it, and I just fell down, and I just like collapsed. Long story short, I'm stuck. And so I put this thing in four wheel low, and I'm rocking back and forth, and I can't go anywhere. And so I get out, and I don't have a shovel, and all I've got is my ice scraper, and so I'm like digging with the ice scraper. I refuse to call my son to come pull me out with his two wheel drive truck that I always tell him is too dangerous to be driving in the snow. I'm looking around, making sure nobody can see me or anything. Finally, I get out. But for like, for like what felt like eternity, I was stuck. You could say, like, snow, snow is, like, just pouring around me. Those of you guys remember what it was like if you were out late at night. That snow was just pouring down. Like, I literally was in a storm, something I thought that I could handle. I thought I was going to be okay. I thought I knew, I knew what I was doing, but I got stuck. And that reminded me of a ton of situations I've been in in my life, and I'm sure situations that you have been in in your life, where you're going through something, and you thought you could handle it, you thought you knew what you were doing, but at some point, it got to be too much. In fact, you would classify what you went through or what you're currently going through as a storm. And in this storm, in this season that you could be in right now, you appreciate people. Like you appreciate people helping you. You appreciate people talking to you. You appreciate people praying for you. You appreciate somebody giving you a Bible verse. But at the end of the day, if you could be honest, if you had a choice, you would say, that's great. That's fine. That's awesome. Thanks for the help. But what I really need 
is for Jesus to move. I need him to move into my life. I need Jesus to move in this situation. Because if he doesn't move, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Or I don't see how I'm going to get through this. I need Jesus to move. All of us have been in situations or currently currently in situations like that. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what is the area that we need Jesus to move the most in our life in. Because yes, if we're talking about our church and we're talking about getting all aboard, li- listen, our church is making moves. And, and, and our church is doing some awesome things. This church is moving. We are seeing some great things, some great moves of God here at Central. But at the end of the day, I want our church to be known as a church where Jesus moves in the life of people and people experience life change. Because if we move as a church, but Jesus isn't moving in our lives as individuals, I think that's a tragedy. And I don't want that. And I'm sure you don't want that either. I want this to be a place where you can show up and you can know that Jesus is going to move in your life. As you yield things, as you surrender things to Jesus, he is absolutely going to move in your life. And he's going to change you for the better. I want this to be a place where you can invite your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors, and know that Jesus is going to move in their lives. Now, in order to really dive into this, we're going to look at a story that I absolutely love. Um, I, I share this story um, a lot when, when I'm down at St. Greg's. I, I use this um, this text as the main text uh, for our spiritual warfare series um, a couple of years ago. And in that series, we walked through it verse by verse. And so it might sound familiar. Um, but here's the thing. Don't, don't tune out because th- this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible says that it's alive, that it's living, it's active, um, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And, and here's the thing about the Bible that I love. You, you can read it over and over and over again. You can read through it in one season. You can read through it in a different season. And you can see something or hear something that you might have missed in the past. And so, so Mark, Mark tells us this story in chapter 4, starting in verse 35. He says this. He says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, that verse is huge. Just by itself is absolutely loaded. And let me tell you why. We're going to walk through it kind of phrase by phrase here for a minute. The first part, as evening came. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I usually do the same thing every day. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up. I'll do a few things. I'll, I'll read the Bible. I'll come to work. I'll go to lunch. I'll come back and I'll do some more work in the afternoon. Um, some nights, I, I get to go see my kids in sporting events, and, and those are awesome. But on most nights, on most nights when evening comes, if, if you're like me, when evening comes, I'm looking forward to going home and relaxing. Anybody else? Anyone? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's most of us. Now, some people do different things to relax. Some people go home and they do yard work. That's relaxing to you. That's hell for me, but it's relaxing for you. Some people go home, maybe you hit some golf balls. That's, that's relaxing. At my house, I have a hot tub. That's where I go. Uh, hot tub and Netflix. Like, I binge Netflix. I'm all over some, some Netflix. I'm, I'm a binge guy. By the way, a little side note, if you got any good recommendations, just send them your pastor's way. Chances are I've already seen them, but, but send them anyway. All of us, though, right, all of us. Now, I understand that, that some of you, evening is different because you work third shift or second shift or whatever, and, and I get that. But the majority of us have a day job. You like to go home and relax in the evening. Am I correct? Yes, so the disciples, I want you to think about them. Jesus and the disciples had been out all day long. 
and they'd been around people. They had been, they had been teaching. They had been, they had been, they had been like trying to get Jesus into different locations and they had been trying to get Jesus even there's a point where he got in a boat and they pushed off shore so he could teach. There were so many people and, and, and all day long, they're just surrounded by people. Now, I'm going to tell you something about people that you might not know. People can drain you. Does anybody know that? Anybody, anybody work in any type of customer service industry? Anyone? You talk to people all day long and you go home and you're like, oh, oh I got to talk to another person. I'm just going to, ah. So think about Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, people were trying to touch him. And they wanted to touch him because they believed that if they touched him, they could be healed. And so the disciples are constantly having to fight off the crowds, trying to get Jesus to where he needs to go. So at the end of the day, after doing all of this stuff, do you think they were tired, yes or no? Yes. And so evening came. Evening came. And I could just see kind of Peter and Thomas and James and John are like, finally, man, Finally, we get to relax. Finally, going to get to lay in the hammock. We're going to turn on some Amazon Prime, watch some yellow jackets. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then Jesus comes up to them with this brilliant idea. Hey, guys, I, I, I know you want to relax, but hey, let's get to work. And they're probably like, dude, we've been working all day long. Jesus, it's time to chill. I know, I know, I know. But, but we got to go do something. We, we want to, I need you to come with me. We're going to do something amazing. And what he's getting ready to do is so significant, so awesome. They wouldn't have understood it had he told them. The disciples, right? So, so, so he's telling the disciples. Here's what's funny about the disciples. Um, today, um, in many denominations, we call the disciples things like St. John. And St. Peter, and St. Luke, and St. Mark. You ever heard that? But, but I want to assure you, as we read about their lives, if you would bring them up on stage this morning, they would tell us, stop it. Knock it off. Don't call us saints. We're a lot of things, but we're not saints. How many of you have ever met a saint? How many of you are sitting next to one right now? Go get the Valentine box. Anyway, Jesus said to his disciples. Now, that disciple, that word is a big word. So let's talk about it for a second. Because what we do in the church world with the word disciple is we've elevated it to somebody who's involved in a lot of spiritual activity. And so we think the more spiritual activity that you participate in, the more godly you are, the more of a disciple you are, the more of a Jesus follower you are. But listen to me and don't miss this. Spiritual activity doesn't always relate to intimacy. Spiritual activity doesn't always relate to intimacy. Because listen, the most spiritually active people in the days of Jesus were actually the ones who killed him. Think, think about that. Now, now listen, I'm not saying don't read your Bible. I'm not saying don't go to connect groups. I'm not saying any of that. You, you, you've got to be involved in those things. But you need to understand that the more spiritual activity you do doesn't always relate to intimacy. And that doesn't mean that you're a more better follower than Jesus than other people. Because there are some people in this room that when it comes to you thinking or being a follower of Jesus, you've always put yourself in a category of less than. Because you see people who, who engage in this spiritual activity, but it's, but it's really just a front. And so you're like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. Like, I'm, I'm less than that person. I'm not doing as much stuff. That person's godlier than me. That person's better than me. I don't, I don't have enough faith. I'm not strong enough. I, I lose my temper. You always feel like you're less than because you're comparing yourself to other people. But did you know 
that you're just as godly as these people right here in this story? I'll, I'll prove it to you. Have you ever felt guilty in your life that you just don't have enough faith? Any, anybody? For, for example, you feel like you need to see a move of God in your life. Like you're, you're stuck in a situation. And, and, and there's a track record of God always getting it right. You, you can look back, as we've talked about the past several weeks, you, you can look back on God's faithfulness. and You can see how God moved. But you look forward where you're at right now, and you still aren't sure if God's going to be able to pull this off. Anybody ever struggle feeling guilty about that besides me? Anyone want to be honest today? Yeah. Well, you would think that the men closest to Jesus... Never had a problem with that. But in Luke chapter 17, they they come to Jesus and they say something really interesting to him. In verse 5, they say this. They said, Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Show us how to increase our faith. Now on the surface, that's a great prayer, right? In fact, I pray that for me often. I pray that for this church often. Lord, show us how to increase our faith. But you look at these guys and you're like, really? Really? Really, God? Like, like you, you've seen Jesus heal a leper. You've seen Jesus cure blindness. Just a few chapters back, you saw him raise somebody from the dead. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let you know. I see somebody raise somebody from the dead. That's my guy right there for the rest of my life. Like, I'm good. I don't need to see anything else. You've seen him do all of these awesome, amazing things. And they're still saying, we're not sure. We're just not sure we have faith. And so if you're here today and you're wrestling with faith or you're wrestling or you've ever wrestled with faith in the past, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It means you're a human. That's what it means. Or maybe when I say less than, you think you're less than because you think the disciples were perfect and loved everybody all the time. And sometimes you do irrational things. You're like, I'm trying to follow Jesus and that just happened and I can't believe I just, I just did that. Like think about this. How many of you have ever dealt with road rage? Anybody road rage? Anybody? few honest people this morning. How many of you have ever lost your temper? Anyone? Sometimes we lose our temper. I lose my temper sometimes every once in a while, like once a year. Um, (laughs) I lose my temper sometimes. You lose your temper sometimes. And, And oftentimes when we lose our temper, we say stuff that we don't mean, right? And then you'll run into a person, they'll say, oh man, if you're really godly, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't lose your temper. Really? Really? There's a verse in the Bible. It's always made me laugh and sad at the same time. Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem and they stop in this Samaritan village. And the Samaritan village, the people in there basically could tell Jesus, get out. Like they don't, they don't want him here. And so they kick him out. And the disciples get really, really, really upset with, the, with that thing. And so St. John and St. James come up with this brilliant idea of how to handle the situation. This is what they say. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? What? Come on. St. James, St. John, like what, what, what are you guys doing? Like this is their idea. All right, Jesus, we got together and we talked about it. We're ticked off of what they did. And so this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to handle the situation. We're just killing everybody. We're just going to smoke all the Samaritans. And Jesus, of course, tells them no, and there's this kind of back and forth. But this goes to show that they struggle with the same things that we struggle with too. By the way, let me just point this out. Do not write that verse down as justification for road rage. All right, just just don't. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm trying to point out they struggle with the same things that we struggle with. Here's another one that deals with the disciples. Matthew 28. Jesus had just risen from the dead. They saw him murdered. They saw him buried. Three days later, he shows up and he eats fish with them. And he's alive for like 
40 days and he's hanging out with them. And, and then we, we look at Matthew 28 and we, we, we know that's where the great commission's at where, where he says, go out into the world and reach all the nations, baptizing them in my name and teaching them and knowing that I'm with you even till the end of the age. And we think that that's great. But the verse before that, the verse before that is really eye-opening. In verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, which, which you would, you would be like, yeah. That's great. Like, yeah, we, you, you worship him. Like, he was dead, and now he's alive. But then it says, but some of them doubted. Some of them doubted. Like, all these people worshiping Jesus. He's alive! Raised from the dead! Woo-hoo! And a few of them going, man, I don't know. I saw this documentary on Netflix, and man, my cousin knows magic, and he can make himself disappear and come back. It's the craziest. Some of them doubted? The reason I bring that up is for this. Maybe some of you here today, on one hand, you love Jesus, but on the other hand, you doubt if he's going to move. And listen, the disciples dealt with the very same thing. And the reason I say that is to let everybody in this room know you're not less than anything or anybody. You're not less than anything. You're not less than anybody. You're someone who Jesus died for. And that makes you incredibly valuable in the eyes of God. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Jesus says to his disciples, this group of really godly people, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, at first glance, that's an easy task. Like if we're on the water at like Swan Lake, right? You go to the other side of the lake, you, you know, you can see the person on the other side. You, you know exactly what's happening. But the Sea of Galilee sits down almost in a bowl, and it's surrounded by mountains. I've been told it's one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. And if you've ever been there, um, if you haven't been there, like, let, let's, let's go. Let's make a trip. Let's go see this. But Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And him saying this was a problem. Because when he said that, he's saying, let's go to the other side of the lake where the Gentiles were, are. And, and, and that's a problem because where they were was where all of the, the Jews were. And Jews stayed where Jews were and Gentiles stayed where Gentiles were. Jewish people didn't go where Gentile people were because Jewish people looked down on Gentile people. They, they, they looked down on them because they were hopeless. They looked down on them because they were ungodly. They looked down on them because they were pagans. They were those people. And we don't go anywhere near those people. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, let's go reach them. Let's go reach the people who are hopeless. Let's go reach the people who are lost. Let's go reach the people who are ungodly. Let's go reach the people who are pagans. Let's go reach the people that nobody else is willing to reach. And then it gets crazier because he tells them that, but he doesn't tell them the full story. He doesn't tell them exactly where they're going. And and, and listen, in two weeks, we're going to talk about taking next steps. And I'll say this today, and I'll say it again in that message. Jesus will always, 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 always tell us our next step. But he's not going to tell us two, three, four, sixteen, eighteen steps down the road. Because if he did, we might not do it. Because if Jesus would have laid this whole thing out to them, this is what he would have said. All right, guys, I know you, I know you're going to, you want to relax, but you need to get up. We're going to go to the other side. We're going to get on this boat. We're going to cross the lake. When we land, we're going to land in the graveyard, which right there, Ryan's out. Like, I don't like graveyards. Don't like dead things, dead people, movies about dead people, nothing. But Jesus is going to be like, but guys, our, our host on the other side, 
He's going to be demon-possessed. He runs around buck-naked and screams at everybody. Anybody in? You know what, Jesus? I don't think I'm just going to dip out, dog. Everything you've done has been great up at this point. You go ahead, have a great ministry. Naked, demon-possessed man, that's where I draw the line. I'm out. Anybody else? He doesn't tell them that, though. But that's where they're going. Now, think about this guy on the other side of the lake because he is naked and demon-possessed. We read about him in Mark chapter 5. He was abandoned. He was alone. He was hopeless. The Bible says at night he would run around the graveyard screaming, desperate, cutting himself, crying out for help. Now, once again, just envision this. The Sea of Galilee sits surrounded by mountains. Sound would bounce off of that. Sound travels very well across the water. And so you can just kind of see Jesus sitting over here, hearing this man over there who's screaming, desperate, hopeless, crying out for someone, anybody, any type of relief. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to him. I'm going to the abandoned. I'm going to the forgotten. I'm going to the person that everybody else has given up on. Now, put all this together, and I love this, because when I think about this, when I think about as evening came, and as it's time to relax, we as a church, we could do that. We could relax. We really could. I mean, our church, we're seeing some awesome things happen here in this church. We've, we've got our three services. I told you last week, we just paid off the youth center. I mean, we're seeing some great, great things. And we could. We could just sit back. We could just relax. We could say, hey, everything's fine. Everything's great. Let's just keep going with the status quo. But you know what? I believe this is just the beginning. We've got people to reach that nobody else is reaching. There are hopeless people. There are people that feel abandoned. There are people who feel forgotten and alone. And instead of church, instead of relaxing when the evening comes, let's all of us, even those of us who feel less than, who feel jacked up, messed up, broken down, busted up, let's all of us be willing to say, hey, you know what, Jesus? If you want to go to the other side of the lake, if you want to reach people no one else is reaching, I'm all aboard. Let's do it. Let's go. Anybody on board with that? And be careful saying yes. Because here's what's crazy. Jesus issued the invitation, let's go to the other side of the lake. And then it gets crazy. Verse 36, it says they took Jesus in the boat, which that's always good. It's always good. Take Jesus in the boat with you. All right, if you've got a boat, take, take Jesus. How many of you have a boat? Anybody have a boat? I'm going to write it down so I know. So whose boat I could borrow. Somebody told me the other day, Pastor Ryan, you need to get a boat. I had a boat. I did. I had one at one time. There are two awesome days for people that get boats. Number one, first awesome day is when you get it. The second awesome day is when you sell it, right? Best things about boats. Everybody, uh, some, you already can find somebody else who has them, all right? So who has boats again? Everybody look around. That's who you call in the summertime. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. People still wanted to be with Jesus. But soon a fierce storm. Notice that. Not just a storm. What kind of storm? A fierce storm. Mark, who is the least detailed gospel writer of all the gospel writers, wants us to know it was a fierce storm. So that's very important. Fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And so to the disciples and some of them who, who are expert fishermen, this is scary. 
And, and, and I just want to talk about this for a second because this kind of flies in the face of, of, of how we grew up in the church world. We've been taught that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And so if you're going through something bad, it must be because there's some kind of hidden sin in your life. Ever heard that? Like, like somebody is going through absolute hell and somebody's going, must be sin. Must have some kind of secret sin in his life. I know he's doing something wrong. Blah, 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 blah. But these disciples, don't miss this. The disciples aren't in the storm because of some secret sin. They're in the storm. Well, actually, let me ask it like this. Let me ask you a question. Whose idea was it to get into the boat and go to the other side? Whose idea was it? Jesus, right? You're in church. The answer is always Jesus in church. It's Jesus's idea to get into the boat. Don't miss that. They got into the boat because they were following Jesus. And because they were following Jesus, they found themselves in the middle of the storm. Had they stayed on the shore in their hammocks watching Netflix, they wouldn't have experienced the storm. They wound up in the storm because they were following Jesus. Did you know that sometimes Jesus will allow us to go through storms? Did you know that? And he'll allow us to go through storms to teach us something to make us stronger, or so that we can see him more clearly. He'll allow us to go through storms to teach us something, make us stronger, so we can see him more clearly. And so if you're going through a storm, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It probably means you're getting closer to Jesus and you don't even realize it, right? Here's another thing. I love asking this question when we talk about this. Who sent the storm? Who sent the storm? Think about that. Who sent it? It wasn't God, it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't God. Because God and Jesus, like, they're, they're the same, right? L- like, like, Jesus is God in the flesh, yes or no? Yes. We, we all have to agree on that, right? This probably isn't your church if we can't get on the same page of that. Jesus is God in the flesh, yes or no? Yes. So why would God oppose God? Why? That'd be like somebody trying to fight themselves, If you walk out of here today and you see somebody in the parking lot fighting themselves, like hitting themselves in the face, you're not going to go, man, that's a really awesome person. I think I want to get to know them. Maybe they'll go to lunch with me. You're going to be like, I heard rumors about this church. Honey, we ain't coming back. Like like that's what you're going to walk away with, right? So who sent the storm? Who sent it? Could it be the enemy? Could it be Satan? Now, I, I know this is where some people say Satan can't. Satan's not that powerful. He don't have no control over the weather. Really? In the book of Job, when all of Job's kids get killed, who sent the storm that killed Job's kids? The devil, right? And so listen to me. If you're following Jesus, make no mistake, the enemy is going to try to send a storm to shut you down. If you're following Jesus, if you're taking your next step, the enemy is going to try to send a storm to shut you down. He'll take you through what I call the storm cycle. The storm cycle goes like this. It starts with distraction. I jumped in at the beginning of this year. I jumped on the the new year, new year trend, and I started going back to the gym. And I'm in the gym the other day. I think the only reason that I got convicted to go back to the gym was so God could give me sermon illustrations. Um, I'm in the gym the other day. And, and I see a guy sitting on a machine on his phone. He's sitting on this machine, and he's got his phone out, and this is what he's doing. <laughs> For 20 minutes, sitting on a machine, looking at his phone. Now, quick question. When you're in the gym, and you're on the machine, what are you supposed to be doing? 
work it out. And if you're not working out, what are you supposed to do? Get up. So why? So other people can use it. But for 20 minutes, at least, this guy's sitting. <laughs> he was distracted by his phone. Now, all of us can get that because all of us have been distracted by our phones, right? We've all experienced that. Like you're driving down the road, somebody sends you a text message, you want to be responsible, so you're just going to send them back like an emoji or something, and you, you look up, and all of a sudden, like, you're like in high V, like literally in high V, like you're the smile in the aisle right there and then there. So he's distracted. Because when you go to the gym, you're supposed to work out, right? He's distracted. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's what the enemy wants to do. He first wants to distract us. And so I get done working out. Before I leave, I go, I go over to the, to the restroom area. And, and I've got my back turned. And I hear somebody step on the scale and go, Son of a bleep! So I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. I'll turn around. Guess who it is? Phone video machine guy, right? He's on the scale. And he's obviously discouraged because he doesn't like the results that he sees on the scale. And so he steps off. And he takes off his shoes. And I'm just like, you could do the math, dog. Like, your shoes aren't going to make any difference. I'm trying, seriously, I'm trying to pull up my phone so I could take video of this, so I could show all of you. And I'm just like, I'm just like in awe. He steps back on, and he's like, son of a bitch! And I'm like, at this point, he's on a roll. I know some of you are like, you should have invited him to church, pastor. He's actually a staff member. Um, but I'm just, I'm just kidding. Josh Sampson don't go to the gym. And so... <laughs> So he's mad, right? This guy is mad. And, and, and I'm thinking, please don't strip down naked to get onto the scale. But, but he's mad, and he goes from discouragement to doubt. Because he turns around, and he looks at me, and goes, I don't think this scale is working. And so he left, and when he left, he's in full despair mode because he's saying the scale isn't working. Now, I left, and I sat in my Jeep, and I laughed hysterically about the whole thing. But then I started to think about it. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do with a storm in our life. We're following Jesus, and all of a sudden we see some lightning, we hear some thunder, we get distracted. And see, he can't destroy us until he distracts us first. And distraction causes discouragement, where we're like, wait a minute, I, I, thought, I, was, I thought I was following Jesus. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought, I, I thought I was getting my life back on track. And then discouragement leads to doubt where we actually begin to wonder, does Jesus really care about us? Which leads to despair. Why do I try? Why do I even go to church? Why, why, why do I even read my Bible? Why do I even go to a connect group? Why do I even try? That, that's the cycle that the enemy wants to get us in. That's the cycle that Jesus wants to break. But before it gets better, sometimes it gets worse. Because imagine you're one of the disciples. It was whose idea to get into the boat and go to the other side? Jesus. All of a sudden, here come the storms and the waves and the water. And remember, what kind of storm was it? It was a fierce storm. And look what happens, verse 38. Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was what? Sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Now, yes or no, be honest, because you're in church on a Sunday. If the storm is flashing water all over the place, and there's lightning and thunder, and you turn around and you see Jesus sleeping, are you a little bit ticked off, yes or no? 
Yes, you're fighting for your life, and you're like, where's Jesus? Where's it? What are you doing? He's sleeping. Any of you deep sleepers? Any of you deep sleepers? I'm not a deep sleeper. My wife is a deep sleeper. She can sleep through anything. Some of you are like me. You hear a mouse fart five miles away. You're like, what was that? What's going on? Freaking out. But Mary can sleep through anything. The Carol train could drive through our bedroom. And she'd be like, turn off the light. Like that, that would be, that'd be it. Like that'd be the extent of her movement. But in this story, think about this. A fierce storm. A fierce storm is going on. A fierce storm. A storm they wouldn't even have been in. Unless Jesus had said, hey, let's go. And they say, okay, we're going to take our next steps. We're going to go where nobody else is willing to go. And that all happens. They get into the middle of the storm. They're freaking out. And this is where they get to. And if you have ever wondered, does Jesus even care about me? And if you've ever had people get in your face and tell you if you were really a Jesus follower, you wouldn't ask questions like that. I'm about to help you out with that. Because these guys were in the boat, and then this happens. Jesus is sleeping on a cushion at the back, sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him, shouting, shouting, teacher, don't you care? You, You ever felt like that? Man, I have. Sometimes in the middle of a storm, you don't see any way out. And the question in your mind is, Jesus, do you even care about me? Jesus, do you even care about my family? Do you even care about my friends? How can you allow this to happen? Jesus, don't you care? And that's what they're doing right here. They're screaming at Jesus. Don't you care that we drown? And these guys, don't miss this. I think think this is so cool. When it comes to Jesus right here, the wind didn't wake him. The waves didn't wake him. The water splashing in all around him didn't wake him. But when his followers started asking him to move, that changed everything. When his people got desperate for him to do something, Mark tells us, Jesus woke up. Don't miss that. Jesus didn't wake up for the wind or the waves or the water, but he woke up when people started crying out for him, desperate for him. That's when he moved, and that's how he moves in our lives. And he might not move immediately, but he'll move eventually in ways that will absolutely blow our minds. He says he woke up, and he rebuked the wind. Notice he didn't rebuke the disciples. They're yelling at him. They're asking him, don't you care? He doesn't say anything to them. But he rebuked the wind and said to the wave, silence, be still. That's how much power he has over the storms in our life, by the way. He just speaks to them, silent, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. All because his people said, Jesus, Jesus, we need you to move. Jesus, we're stuck. We don't know what to do. We need you. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for us. Here's a question I, I want you to answer for you today that I want you to leave with. The area I need Jesus to move most in in my life is blank. What is it? What is the area you need Jesus to move the most in in your life? Only you can answer that question for you. This isn't a question that you can answer for your spouse or for your kids or for your parents or for your neighbor or for your friend. I want you to ask you that question. And I want you to ask that because no matter what you're going through, Jesus can handle it. I've had people tell me, I can't handle this. Exactly, you can't. But you know who can? Jesus. And for some of us, it takes us getting to that point to understand we can't handle it. 
where we actually have to put all of our faith, all of our hope, and all of our trust in Jesus. Understanding that all of us are going to go through storms, and we can't make it. But even though we can't make it, Jesus can get us through the storm. And so what is that area? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've got an area. I do. All week long, I've been saying, you know what, I can't do this, but Jesus... You can. I'm going to trust and handle, or trust that you can handle and and help me get through this storm. So what is it? What is it that you need Jesus to do in your life? What is that area you need Jesus to work in? What is that area you need Jesus to move in? Claudia is going to play a song, and, and during this song, I want you to sit and listen. And I want you to write it down. I want you to write down what it is. I want you to write down your outline your Bible. I want you to send yourself a text. I want you to, to write it down. Write down that thing. What is that thing? That, that financial thing, that physical thing, that anxiety, that addiction, that marriage issue. What is, what is that area? What are those areas that you need Jesus to move in? Today, you need to tell Jesus, I can't handle this, but I know you can. Please move in my life. We need to learn how to cry out to Jesus, church, and say, Jesus, this is a fierce storm, and I'm trusting you to step in and calm the wind and the waves. I can't, but Jesus, you can, and I'm all aboard with you moving. Let's pray. Father, I pray over the next few moments as we find the courage, Jesus, to ask you to move, to ask you to do something great in our lives, that we would trust you and know that you can move that you make a difference, that you'll meet us where we are. Church, as we sit and we listen to this song, again, I encourage you to write down that thing. Well, just think about it. Actually, write it down. Write it down. Say, Jesus, I can't do this, but I know that you can. And I need you to move. During this song, if if you need prayer, you'd like somebody to pray with you or for you, I encourage you to... Step out the back doors and there'll be some people that'll meet you in the foyer who will take you to our prayer room where we have prayer warriors who came to church this morning for the the sole purpose to pray with you and pray for you, to talk with you about what's going on in your life. Set up some next steps of how we can help you, how we can walk alongside of you. So if you need that, take, take the opportunity to do that. Don't, don't, don't make this a, a time of church where it's just something tacked on to the end of the service to fill time. Use this as a, as a, as a, a time for you to, to really connect with God, for you to take what's going on in your life and lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. I need you to take this. God, we know that when you move, darkness runs for cover. That when you move, no one's turned away. Because where you are, fear turns into praising. And and where you are, no heart is left unchanged. And so we ask you to come and move. We ask you to move. With humble hearts, we, we bow down at your throne. Move amongst the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Darkness runs for cover When you move No one's turned away Cause where you are Fear turns into praises Where you are No one's left unchanged 
Let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, lead us back to you. When you move, the outcasts find a family. When you move, the orphan finds a home. Lord, here we are. Oh, teach us to love mercy with humble hearts. We bow down at your throne. So come, move, let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, lead us back to you. King of all generations, let every tongue and nation surrender all to you alone. Justice roll 